Happy Thanksgiving. It's great to see you all here. How many people are having turkey today or this weekend? Raise your hand. How many people are having uh, some type of roast beef? Raise your hand. Ham? Chicken? All of it? <laughs> I see a couple of hands in the back there. You don't need to choose, do you? We don't need to choose. It's Thanksgiving. That's the, the day where you, you do, like, make sure you have an extra belt loop ready to go. All right. Uh, again, it's great to see you here, Pastor Gabe. It's always good to have uh, friends from our other campuses with us. Make sure you do. I, please, somebody have questions for him. Any question, just look at the annual report and come up with a question for him. Grill him. I don't know. Say thanks for, for doing a good job. Do whatever. But make sure you say hi to Pastor Gabe. He drove all the way down here. Just, just to make sure that if you do have questions, you can have a face-to-face -face with, uh, with him as well. Just to make sure that you fully understand um, how our finances work or anything in our annual business re report that uh, stood out to you that you need to or would like to make a comment. And he'd love to address it personally for you so that you can do so. So he'll be at the back outside uh, willing to talk to anyone and everyone who has questions. So uh, thank you for making yourself available today. And maybe you'll be able to um, hook Joanne into Joanne's Honor Pastoral Council as well. You can hook her into standing there beside you and helping answer questions maybe. All right. We are in our series here on the presence of God, looking at the presence of God and the idea of building our house and how we need to have God's presence with us. Last week, we looked at the idea of there being a, a third way, a different way, God's way of dealing with it. We talked about Moses and how Moses was trying to address things, uh, social justice oriented, everything like that in his own strength. He had that burden that God had given him, and yet he was trying to do it in his own way uh, instead of looking at God's way. He had seen it was either the Egyptians or the Israelites. It was one or the other and how it had to be dealt with, but God had a different way. And God's presence and the burden that he had combined is, way, is the way that God moved. This week, uh, we want to share something that God seems to do, that because, and he does it because he loves us so much. But what he does isn't always easy and fun for us. Now, to start this off, I'd, I'd like to kind of set the scene for us and set the table for us as far as what kind of scenario we're talking about. In 1994... Disney released a movie that captured the hearts of kids and adults. Now think of that, that was, that was 27 years ago. Now when you hear the movie, you think, wait, that was 27 years ago? Lion King. 27 years ago, man, I feel old now. That, that movie came out 27 years ago. But there was a song in that movie that has lived on and been passed on from generation to generation. And I don't mean the Circle of Life's song. It is Hakuna Matata. I can tell by your laughs, you probably know that, uh, that song. You've heard it. Whether you have kids or grandkids or something like that, you've heard that song. And it's a song that's, uh, that draws from the Swahili uh, saying, meaning, no worries. And the characters who uh, purport this, this philosophy, they're looking for a problem-free life, right? Where hardship and struggle do not exist. 
And while ultimately in the movie, uh, they try to address this weakness of this philosophy, I can see that it's more of a commentary on where a society stands as far as its desire to eliminate any problems or issues that arrive in our lives. We want to have no worries, right? Because if we're honest with ourselves, there's, there's a huge part of us that would absolutely, like the song says, have no worries for the rest of our days. I'm not going to sing it with you. No matter how hard you try to get me to sing, I'm not going to do it. Um, but if, if we're more honest with, with, even more honest than that, that we want to have just a problem-free life, there's, there's another level of honesty we can go to because we can easily fall into thinking that following God should lead to that. That following God means that he gets rid of our sin, but he goes even farther than that, and he gets rid of all of our problems for us. And that the longer and the deeper our faith goes, the less problems we should have. Isn't that true? I'm sure some of us have fallen into that trap where we just go like, but I'm following Jesus. I'm doing this the best of my abilities. How come I keep running into resistance and problems and troubles? And we blame it on somehow our relationship with God or what God isn't doing. He's not living up to his half of the bargain of us following him and serving him. Here's the thing. God's presence never meant a problem-free life. In fact, sometimes, sometimes, he actually lovingly leads us to a place where we feel stuck and where only he can move. Now, part of us learning to follow Jesus is just that, to abide in God's love, and it means letting him uproot things and expectations which have a hold on our heart. Why? It's because it is who he is. It's in his nature, and he's always true to himself and to us. Last week, we had talked about, like I said, Moses coming down from the mountain uh, with the, 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 te- the two tablets that had the Ten Commandments on them, and how we talked about how just like, uh, you know, a mom in the kitchen with a wooden spoon slapping it down on the table, or, or a dad, you know, throwing things down when he sees their kids doing something that they shouldn't be doing, and being all like righteous anger, and being, oh, what are you doing? We talked about how Moses did that. He came down and broke those, those tablets. And, and chastised the people. Right after that, when he went back up into the mountain, because he had to go get new stone tablets, this is what it says about how God reveals himself to Moses. Because remember, we talked about how Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't send us at all. If your presence isn't there, don't, don't make us go anywhere. It says this in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him because he had asked to actually see God. And God was like, you can't see my face, but I'll let you see like the back of my heel or something like that when I'm going by. (coughs) Excuse me. And as the Lord passed by, he proclaimed this. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. 
God is remarkably gracious, abounding in steadfast love towards them and us. And because he's so loving, he'll convict us uh, regarding our sin and our iniquity and our transgressions against him. Just like he did with the Israelites in that moment where they had worshipped that golden calf instead of waiting for Moses to return. He decides to convict and draw out and discipline them. But 106 years ago, in 1915, Frank Bartleman, who is author of a book called Azusa Street and a, uh, a writer in local papers and, and articles at the time and a part of the early Pentecostal church movement down in uh, Los Angeles, he said this. He said, Christianity has not broken down, but men have failed to be Christian. And he was speaking to, 106 years ago, the syncretism that this is, it's this thorn seed that's always there waiting to be watered in our lives so it can grow and choke out the transformative gospel that God wants to plant there as well. Because sometimes, sometimes, underneath all of our good answers and, um, I just went so far, I passed all my notes. There we go. Behind all of our good answers, good deeds, our good intentions, all of those things, there is stuff inside of us that needs to be uprooted, exposed, and transformed by God's love. Sometimes there's prejudice and fear. There's dependencies that are rooted not in God, but in something less. And sometimes... The only way that we can really deal with it or that it comes to a head is when you find yourself stuck in a moment that you can't get out of. Every time I hear that phrase, it reminds me of the the song that you too wrote about being stuck in a moment that you can't get out of. Good memories for me. You may not know the song at all. So here's another memory for me about being stuck in a moment. Uh, You may not be able to... uh, connect with this story, but you'll at least be able to laugh at me. Um, when I was younger, uh, there was a girl that I was interested in, and we were, we were dating in high school, and uh, her dad worked at and ran a Christian kids camp. And so she, she would be working there in the summers and stuff like that. And so in the summer between school, um, if I wanted to hang out with uh, this, this girl that I was interested in and dating, if I wanted to hang out with her, I'd have to go to the camp because she was there on the, on the campgrounds working for her dad running this Christian camp. And so one weekend I was there, and uh, she had to do all of her duties, cleaning up the cabins and everything like that before she was released to be able to go and have fun and hang out and stuff like that. And so I was there helping her uh, clean the cabins as a typical young teenage boy would do. And there's always, if you've ever sent kids to camp, you know that they never come back with the same amount of clothes that you sent with them with. There's always clothes that they're missing, and uh, inevitably, it's always socks and things like that. And so there's always socks that get left over at the camp. And so uh, this one day I was there, and she was cleaning and, and, and figuring figuring out all the cabin stuff, getting it all sorted, and there were socks there. And so I had rolled the socks into a big ball, And a friend and I were there, and we were inside the cabin, and we were playing 
baseball with this sock. And so I had a bat, and they would, they, we were pitching the socks at it, and I was hitting the, the sock ball. And, you know, what, what harm can come from that, right? You're hitting his socks. You're not going to do any damage. Socks are soft, right? And they're not going to hurt anything at all. And it's true. They didn't. But what did hurt something was the bat. The bat went through the window. Yeah. And I found myself stuck in a hard place and nowhere to get out. This window was, was broken at the front of the cabin, and uh, I'm just there visiting. And uh, I don't have a job, and that means I don't have money, and I just broke a window, and I was stuck in a hard place. And so I had to make the walk from the cabins down to the office to uh, tell the camp owner, director, and my girlfriend's father that um, I had, you know, broken this window and had no means of paying to fix it. And it wasn't a cheap window because it was one of those old ones where it's just a single pane sliding in the old, like, you know, window frames that they used to have at old campgrounds and things like that. So it wasn't cheap to just, uh, you know, go and get a new pane of glass for the window. So he was like, well, what are we going to do about that? And the only option was to work it off. And so I started a job at the camp. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? I was stuck in a hard place, uh, and I didn't know how to get out of it. But you know what it did do? It led me down and introduced a ministry path that I probably never would have anticipated if I had not have gone into those moments and uh, played baseball in a cabin with a bat. So... If, you ask, if I ask you to play sports indoors, just check around and make sure there's no windows nearby and I'm not holding a bat because uh, I don't always have the best judgment when it comes to things like that. But sometimes, sometimes, but actually guaranteed, life is unfair. Leaders are going to fail you. They're going to break your trust. Evil is going to seem to win. God's promises, they're not going to seem to be working in that moment. You're going to find yourself cornered and put into a space and you don't know how to get out of it. And it doesn't matter what you say or believe, someone is going to think you are wrong and they're going to let you know about it. Life has a way of at times painting us into this corner And it can be so challenging for us to try and work through. But if we have the courage today and in our lives to see it, what it feels like when we're stuck in that impasse, that sometimes that setback is actually a set up for a bigger vision of who God really is. And it can take many forms in our lives on an individual basis in our own journeys. And it can be something that we also face collectively as the body of Christ. And that's exactly what happened to Moses and the people of Israel during their journey. In Exodus 14, 1-4, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp in facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them 
and I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They had just left Egypt. Pharaoh had just conceded uh, victory in that final round between him and God as far as letting the people of Israel go. They are just leaving and going out of Egypt. And as they start traveling out of Egypt, God leads them and directs them along a path that ends up having them stuck in a hard place. They're stuck between the Dead Sea and mountain ranges around them and then an army of Egypt coming behind them that's saying, why did we ever let our slaves go? Let's get them back here and either kill them or, you know, enslave them once again. And the people are caught there. And they're stuck in that moment. But God has a plan. But in the midst of that moment, they don't see that plan. They don't see that. They see a sea and an army and mountains around them, and they don't know what to do. God instructs. He instructs them. Again, it's God who leads them on this path. He instructs Moses and the children of Israel to encamp in a place where before them is the sea, and behind them, like I said, their enemy, cutting off any means of escape. And God was even specific about what direction they should face when he led them into that predicament. And camp facing it, he says. Baal Zaphon. And we wonder, what what is Baal Zaphon? Our best ideas of what that that God was, because it's referring to a God, was, was a mountain God that was the God of their maritimes, their seas, their wayfaring on the water. And so what they're facing over the sea is a mountain on the other side that was their God of sea passage. And behind them, well, not the Israelites, but the Egyptians in that place. And behind them was the Egyptian army that was bringing them to a place where there was no escape, there was no sea passage, there was no safety on that sea. That's what they were facing in that moment. Sometimes God desires to teach us to look long enough at a problem so we can properly see where our provision is going to come from. They had no boats. They had no army. They had no weapons to fight. Their backs were actually to the army, and they're facing the sea. And then God comes from in front of them and leading them to the sea. God comes in his pillar of fire and and smoke. And he, he comes between them and the enemy. And all now they can see is the ocean or the, the sea in front of them that has trapped them in. And yet here we are in that moment or there in that moment. And sometimes us in our moments, we feel stuck in that moment and we can't get out of it. But here's what we got to do. We can't let the disappointment of those moments define who God is. The Israelites in that moment, they're facing the sea and they start crying out to God going, we knew we couldn't trust you, God. We knew we couldn't do it. We should have just stayed in Egypt. It wasn't that bad there. Now we're all going to die out here in the desert. At least in Egypt, we could have just maybe kept going and and, and, and not dealt with this, but here it's our end. In moments like that, God desires to teach us that life should not be defined by what's in front of us or what's behind us. Instead, it is to be defined by who is with us. 
And yet our enemy does the exact opposite of that, doesn't he? His aim is to taint how we see God in all of his grandeur, to see it defined by our confinement and see it defined by our limitations in how we're entrapped. And this is why even sometimes loving constraint by God feels like God is holding out on you. That freedom is having to give up that fight for a promised land and settle for a problem-free place. Israel complaining. And this is a defining issue when we embrace a shallow depth instead of an ocean depth of the gospel or a faith system built on cultural ideas and not on who God reveals himself to be. John Mark Cormer, he, he says it in a, in a lighthearted way like this, not all paths lead up the same mountain. There are different paths up different mountains. You're spiritual? Cool. What are you spiritual with? Or who are you spiritual with? You believe in God? That's great. Which one? Because we, we have these different paths and different ideas of sp- our spirituality and our faith. Even our, our gospel can take on cultural forms that aren't quite what God had in mind. And they don't all lead to the same place. And then we love to read the first half of the verses that we started with. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It sounds wonderful. That sounds like a great Thanksgiving message. Look at this God that we have that is so amazing to us. His love and mercy and grace are so awesome. It's so awesome that he does this stuff for us. But then the next line, we don't like that part as much, where he says, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. See, that same loving, merciful, gracious God is also a just God. And all injustice will meet a God who is just. Now, when we think about our enemies or think of those who are in opposition to us or those who had differing opinion to us, uh, we look at that and all that needs to be made right in the world, and we think that's fantastic that there's a God who will bring justice. We think that's amazing that that's going to happen. We're there going, God, go get them. Go take them out, God. You bring that justice in that moment. Yet, this means all of us who are also unjust, who also live with the unjust, who also do things inappropriately, will all one day meet a God of justice. And when God says he will be visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, We can struggle with that and go, why do children pay? And then children's children pay for all of this. Why does it go to the third and fourth generation? And what that means is this, is that sin is not just an individual behavior. My sin doesn't just affect me. Your sin doesn't just affect you. It can affect generation after generation. We see brokenness in people's lives that can affect their children, and then it can affect their children, and it can affect their children when we see how the brokenness continues. Because it becomes more than just a behavior. 
becomes infused with who we are somehow, almost like a part of our DNA. And sometimes it can even become a, a cultural identity where it becomes this is just who we are as a people living in this brokenness that passes from one generation to the next. Our sin nature can do such harm. But God, who is just, is going to continue working, continue moving to expose and deal with our sin until it is completely gone or to the third and fourth generation. God will keep exposing it and bringing it to the surface so we can deal with it. And just so, we're, just so we have an understanding of, of God's graciousness and his love and his slowness to anger, when we read that verse back in, in uh, about, about those things, it talks about his steadfast love for thousands and then it, the guilt visiting to the third and fourth generation. Sometimes we can lose, but when it says thousands in that moment, it's not just referring to a couple thousand people. It's referring to a couple thousand generations. So his steadfast love, his grace and mercy extends thousands of generations. But he'll, he'll work with three to four generations to uproot the sin within that group of people to say, I love you so much that I'm not going to let this sit for thousands of generations, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it to the surface and deal with it in short order, really, so that I can root it out of who you are and see you and your children and your children's children understand who God really is. It's amazing, this God that we serve. And this is precisely why Jesus did what he did for us on the cross. And because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, uh, James, the writer in the New Testament, would go on to say this, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Because Jesus received what we were owed. Mercy gives us what we could never deserve. We have so much to be thankful for, even when we find ourselves stuck in a moment we can't get out of. And whether you're there today, you find yourself stuck in a moment, you find yourself pressured, you find yourself sitting there and going, there's no way out of this scenario it seems like impassable in front of me and the people behind me or things behind me chasing me down, calling me to account, trying to end things for me. And you feel stuck in that moment when before you is the sea and behind you is an enemy. When you find yourself wanting justice for others and God to judge soon and judge harsh, there's this. Trust God who is for you is greater than whatever is in front of you or behind you. Trust that the God who is for you is greater than whatever is in front of you or behind you. Because what happens in that moment with the Israelites as they cry out to God, the irony is God is like, why are you complaining to me? Moses, strike the water and pass and, and walk across. God had brought provision. They needed to take that step into his provision. So today, there's four things that we talked about that I'd love for you to remember and reflect on this week. 
First one this, trust that God knows exactly where you are. Trust that he knows exactly where you are, what your situation is. Why? Because he is with you. Two, trust if God has led you to it, then God is going to lead you through it. If he's leading you to it, he's going to lead you through it. Three, trust God with the unknown rather than complain or blame God. In those moments where we're standing there and we're faced with those things, instead of blaming God or complaining about how hard the situation is, trust God. Don't turn like the Israelites and go, man, I knew I shouldn't have trusted God to lead me to this, to step out into the unknown, to walk away from what wasn't a great situation but was a known situation to the unknown, and now it seems impassable. Instead of letting that turn into a, a spirit of complaining and being upset and blaming God and putting division between you and God or others, trust God with the unknown. Number four, Trust God that the next step is another step towards his provision. That the next step is another step towards his provision. Like I said, in the middle of that moment, the Israelites stood facing the sea, looking at a mountain that was supposed to be the Egyptian god of uh, their maritime seas and, and taking care of storms and everything that, like that for them. Every single uh, act that God had done in Egypt spoke specifically to a cultural element of Egypt that was not powerful where God was powerful, where they believed in their gods of whatever God was saying, they're not real, I am real. And this one last moment, they're standing there, and their God who should protect them with the sea, the seas parted, and they stepped into their provision. When we trust God, we can do the same. Today, you may be encamped facing the sea with a real enemy in pursuit. But take heart, because what feels like being stuck to you just might be God's plan for provision unfolding, where he's asking you to put more reliance on him to take your focus off of other things in your own ways of solving problems and put your eyes on him and take one more step forward. Take one more step forward. And if this chapter that you're going through right now isn't yet good, today you can still be thankful that God is not done. He's not done with you yet. Like the song we, we sang a couple of weeks ago, If I'm Still Breathing, then he's still moving. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We do thank you. God, no matter the circumstances that we're facing today, no matter what seems like uh, being stuck between a rock and a hard place, between a sea and an army, between uh, whatever it is that we're facing, God, and we all have a multitude of things that can be pressing in on us, and making us feel like we're, we're stuck. At the same time, God, we want to say thank you. Because this, like this series we've been talking about, your presence is what's needed. And when we see you in your presence with us, God, may it remind us that you are our provision. That when we take steps of obedience with you, 
Every step leads us closer to your provision. Whatever your provision is for us, whether it's to sustain us through storms, whether that's to bring miracles, whether that's uh, like the song we sang uh, today, whether it's to see uh, cancer disappear, whether it's to see addicts fully recover, whether it's to see mental health restored, whether it's to see wholeness returned, whatever it is, God, whether it's revival that you have for us, whatever it is that we've seen you do in the past that we know you want to do in the future, God, we believe in you today. We believe in you, and we believe that your presence with us is what sustains us, will take us through. And so with our eyes on you, God, it leads us to be thankful today. It leads us to be thankful that we serve such a steadfast, loving, merciful, and gracious God whose compassion and and steadfast love will go for thousands of generations And yet you're still so loving that you'll start uprooting things, dependencies and things in our lives that have no place with you. You'll uproot them so that our focus can be fully on you and your presence can fully sustain us. So God, we thank you for that today. We choose a thankful heart in response to what you have done and we know what you will do for us as a community and individually. And we pray this in your name, Jesus.